Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Free From Missing Out. My name is David, and this is the podcast about living in a connected world. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're happy to have you here. And if you're not new, welcome back. Glad you're still listening to me talk on episode seven. Getting into the housekeeping items, we don't have much going on right now, but make sure if you are on an iPhone, go to the podcasts, go to Apple Podcasts specifically, and make sure you leave a review and subscribe to this podcast. It really helps us out, gets us on all of Apple's algorithms, and it can help grow this community. In addition, if you have any podcast ideas or topics you want discussed on the show, please feel free to reach out in the Facebook page. Uh, you can just search at Free From Missing Out, and you should be able to find it and post any comments or you know questions you want answered on future episodes. That being said, I think that's about it for the housekeeping items. So last week, we talked about religion, how millennials and social media is changing everything. And this week, we're going to talk about minimalism. So why and how we should all get rid of all of the shit that we own and go move into a tiny house. But before we get into that, we do have to cue that intro music I found online. Okay, I know that wasn't, we've used that song before, but I kind of like it, and it's also getting kind of hard to keep finding free music, so I did recycle that one, but if any of you have any ideas for intro music, please let me know. Before we get into all my painstaking research on minimalism, I think it's crucial that we define what we're talking about here. It's not as cut and dry as just tiny houses and living in vans and selling all your stuff. And there's a couple ways to look at it. The main idea behind minimalism minimalism, is that you are not necessarily just getting rid of stuff, but you're taking a look at your lifestyle and what is providing value to you through stuff and also through experiences and striking that balance. And that's the key of what minimalism, minimalism, God, this is gonna be a rough podcast if that's how I say minimalism every time. But anyway, minimalism is not about living in a tent with nothing and selling your car and only having one article of clothing. It is about evaluating what you have, the stuff that you have, the money that you have, and also your environment that you live in, the car you own, the apartment you rent, and really determining what's providing value to you. And if you want to actually put a number on it, the minimalists, which are two guys who really are pushing this movement, they have a special on Netflix as well. They define it as having approximately about 100 things. That's that's a good number to put towards minimalism is that if you can get down to 100 things, you are on your way to living a minimalist lifestyle. But as I said, it's not so cut and dry that just by getting rid of stuff, you're now living as a minimalist. It really is different for every person. And while it's different for every person, what is clear is that this movement has gained a lot of traction over the past couple of years. So I was curious as to why I wanted to take some time on this podcast to dig into what minimalism is besides the definition, where it came from and why it's so closely tied to the millennial generation. Why is our generation so tied to getting rid of stuff when I think a lot of our parents would define us as being so attached to stuff? And that is a lot to get to. So I'll try and keep this podcast moving so you all aren't stuck listening to me for too long today. 
but but as with all the podcasts, I want to start with the history of not just minimalism, but consumerism as well. Because where minimalism, minimalism exists, it has to come from something. You can't get rid of stuff unless there was stuff to get rid of. And that stuff has been primarily driven by this rise in consumerism that we've seen since the 50s. The rise in American consumerism, I think, can be traced by most people back to the 50s and specifically after World War II. So right after World War II, there was a major shift in the economy. We went from a country that was solely focused on a war for about five years, now back to an economy focused on consumer goods. And before that, we were in a depression where a lot of people were struggling to get by. And now the economy received this turbocharged boost from the war and the, I guess, industrial environment that that created. But in order to set the stage, we need to look at the whole environment. So in the end of the war in 1945, there's about 10 million, over 10 million U.S. troops that were going to start returning home. And suddenly they're all returning to this country that, after pulling itself out of depression, is now shifting away from military production since a lot of the workforce was overseas engaging in a conflict the country had shifted itself to wartime production, producing cars and bullets and guns, and now is starting to shift back to consumer goods while also receiving a giant influx of people to back into the country and the labor force as well. And just economically and historically, this proved to be a giant boost to the economy in terms of spending power for adults at least. So most adults and most families saw a massive increase in not only their buying power, but also the things they were able to buy. So the 40s saw this drastic increase and also saw an, an increase in their actual spending. Families were starting to spend more, buy things. The typical family lifestyle in suburbia was beginning to form. Now, businesses also saw this opportunity. They saw a bunch of people who were eager to spend their money and that money was ripe for the taking in certain industries. So when you come out of a war and you've been unable to buy most consumer items or seen much of an increase in the consumer goods for nearly five years, and before that you watched your, I guess if you were a baby boomer, you watched your parents go through depression, or you went through depression yourself. You weren't able to buy things living scarce. You were living scarcely, and now you're in this pretty much utopia where suddenly household goods are becoming commonplace. People are getting TVs and vacuums and all these home goods that were seen as improving their lifestyle. So suddenly you're seeing ads that are promoting TVs and specifically I saw an ad promoting a TV and why it's good for children to watch TV because they were trying to market to all of these mass consumers now who were eager to buy the new latest and greatest stuff. Along with that, you were seeing the rise in your cookie-cutter neighborhoods. You were seeing everyone wanting to move to the suburbs for more space because houses were now being affordable and marketed to the average person. And what I think is most interesting is that PBS actually did a piece with historian Elaine Tyler May, and they actually saw the government as, they saw the government and people as seeing consumerism as a way to drive equality. Uh, through social classes and also economic classes, where since be these goods were becoming so ubiquitous and affordable, you were starting to bring people closer together because everyone was able to afford these luxuries. Suddenly, the car wasn't something that only the rich could afford, 
but everyone was able to afford houses and cars and TVs and vacuums and you know all these appliances. And that was supposed to bring everyone closer together. And that's an interesting topic, I think, because I think now we see products and goods as a way to further identify ourselves as being, quote unquote, the Joneses, that you have the latest and greatest and therefore you are better. And then suddenly around this time, it was being marketed in the exact opposite way, where because we can all get these goods, it puts us all on an equal playing field. And I think that historical stage that we just set between the rise of consumerism and the end of a war and the changing of the family structure, I think it's important to juxtapose that with the history and rise of minimalism. And now, I want to touch on consumerism first because I think the history of minimalism is much less interesting. In fact, living simply or the minimalist lifestyle is nothing new, not even to stretch it back 100 years, but rather thousands of years people have been preaching the evils of money. In fact, you can date it back to philosophers as well as Socrates who believed that money is what corrupted people and that people should be as material, I mean, not as materialistic, they should have moderation with material goods to such a degree that it doesn't impact them in a negative way. In addition to that, during the 50s and 60s and 70s, when you saw this rise of consumerism, there was also plenty of books and literature out there about living simply, the exact opposite of what this generation was going through. And these books were such as Small is Beautiful by E.F. Schumacher, which talked about getting rid of your stuff and having less things, which drastically differed from the message that media was promoting, advertising agencies, and also people by their spending habits. To also connect this back to the last podcast we did, religion, and specifically Christianity, has always preached minimalism. It has always prided itself on not focusing on materialistic goods, but rather living a simplistic and wholesome lifestyle and that that's what drove you to actual happiness. So obviously, as you look through history, there's always been a play, you know, a back and forth between some people who think you don't need stuff and then some people who think we need as much stuff as possible because that's what drives happiness. So this conflict is nothing new. It, you know, Saying that millennials started this minimalistic movement, I don't think is completely accurate. But we've suddenly become the flag bearers for this cause. Our generation is being tied to tiny houses and van life and throwing away all of our clothes and downsizing to you know eight items in our wardrobe. And you're seeing you know media backing this up as well from multiple Netflix documentaries on tidying up and decluttering to just social media brands that focus primarily on talking about their minimalistic lifestyle. But I just was curious of why. Why are we the ones being tied to this? Are, is, do our actions actually support that? Are we as minimalistic as people say? Or are we just being incorrectly labeled as this hippy-dippy millennial generation that doesn't want stuff anymore but just wants to do things? I think part of this comes from media's misconception about what millennials are going through along with older generations' perceptions about what we like. Now, we talked about, I believe, in episode two, Money as a Millennial. Seems about right. I think we talked in that episode about how our generation likes experiences more than things, which is starkly contrasted by Generation X and Baby Boomers, who 
prefer to buy stuff. So we've already shown that our generation does like these experiences, that we're not as tied to these things as previous generations. And in addition, you can also see a decline in retail businesses. And our generation is pushing a lot of brands to be more impactful and not simply that we're so brand loyal just because it has a flashy name or a reputation, but rather we need to be impressed. We need a message and a motivation and we have no problem buying store brand stuff. We have no problem saving money using coupons and multiple Pew studies have shown that we are the generation who likes to balance saving money along with shopping brands that mean something to us. So we still like stuff. I don't think that's the message we need to go to that everyone is moving towards minimalism. We still like our things, but a lot of us aren't as attached to them as people have been in the past. But going back to the media, I think there's a lens that's thrown on our generation about why we're minimalistic, and I think it seems a bit unfair to us. So a lot of the lens, I think, when people are looking at us holistically, they see this generation that has no money. I mean, if you read a lot of articles and just look up, start Googling, why are millennials minimalistic, you know, are millennials rich, you'll see a lot of stuff that pretty much says we're all poor. And while I agree that our generation is strapped with a lot of, I guess, baggage in terms of debt and responsibility that other generations haven't been, we're not poor. You know, I I think this has been overblown primarily by the media and also by our generation that we want to blame a lot of things on, oh, it's my debt's fault or our generation is not well off as baby boomers generation Xers, so that's why we can't do all these things. So it's no surprise that you see articles by Forbes and Business Insider that say the reason millennials are moving more towards minimalism is because we can't afford anything. That is not that's not a life choice. It's just because we're too broke to actually own anything. So therefore, we are here. We are here by minimalist. And I don't think that's fair at all. I think our generation is doing perfectly fine, not just by my own experiences and people that I know, but also evidence outside of this and across the country. You know, going back again to the podcast that I did episode two, talking about the money situation, things aren't all, you know, roses. You know, it's not all through rose colored lenses that I'm looking at this. I don't think millennials are unanimously better off than past generations. And there's definitely hurdles that we're going to have to overcome in terms of money that previous generations haven't. But there's a lot going for us as well. There's another study that I found called, it was a planning and progress study done in 2015, and it found that millennials compared to Generation X and baby boomers are more likely to set financial goals and save money than those generations have been in the past and are presently. So we're not bad with money. This was the main message from episode two. We aren't bad with money. While some of us have bad tendencies towards money and some of us are relying on external factors to help us, we're not broke. And even according to Pew, millennial households are making more than any generation has at this same point in the last 50 years. Now, that's not to say every individual is making more money. In fact, there's some studies that show that, you know, some millennial singles are making less, but yet millennial households are making more. But the message is that we're not clearly broke. I don't think the millennial, or sorry, the minimalist movement is being pushed by broke millennials who can't afford a car or afford a house and that's why you see people giving up their stuff I think it goes beyond that 
So as we talked about in the FOMO podcast, wow, I am just on point with these connections today. You know, linking episode two to episode five to episode six. I think we talked about six. I talked about religion and Christianity. So I did talk about episode six too. But as we talked about in the FOMO podcast, our generation values experiences. And while the connection to experiences and minimalism might be thin, you know, it's hard to say that just because we like experiences, therefore we don't like stuff. I do think it shows that we aren't as concerned with the stuff in our lives, but rather mobility. And this can be seen also by the trend that millennials root out of their apartments and not owning cars. All these things show what we value and minimalism falls in line with a lot of that. When you're not tied to things and stuff anymore, it's much easier to declutter and start putting some of this stuff away because you're focused on those experiences. That's not fueled by if you have the latest product or tool. A lot of us just want to get stuff done so we can go do things. On top of that, I also think it's crucial to look at the environment we grew up in. And this, I find this very interesting because it's a very similar environment to what baby boomers grew up in. If you're a, I guess, it's kind of blurry line because technically baby boomer will be after this. But if you think about coming out of a depression into an economic boom, it's a very similar story where baby boomers knew that their parents went through a depression. They've seen scarcity. They've been exposed to that. We were also exposed to that when a lot of us came into adulthood during the Great Recession, where in 2007, 2008, 2009, a lot of us saw family, friends, parents lose everything, lose savings, lose their house. And that has an impact on us. And while it is similar to the Great Depression, I mean, not, not that the Great Recession is as big as the Great Depression, just by the name alone, while those events are similar, and while baby boomers did know of that this time of scarcity was so soon followed by prosperity, they were born into this prosperous age of consumerism, while a lot of us were being thrust into the job market right as the Great Recession was hitting. So while we are the highest educated generation, a lot of us weren't able to find jobs. And we were given all these promises about how great it was going to be. You're going to make money. You're going to be able to buy all this stuff. But at the same time, we're suddenly seeing everyone lose everything. All these people who have played the game perfectly, your parents who have gone through their career and built up the savings and built their retirement, have a house, have a white picket fence, suddenly it's all gone. Suddenly we see how playing by the rules and playing by all this, you know, this notion that we just need to work and work and work and save and save and save and then everything will be peachy, that even if you do all that perfectly, nothing is guaranteed. And while it can't be said for sure, that this is what caused minimalism or this is what caused millennials to be separated from stuff. I think it's a very fair argument to say that looking at all this and just by reading testimonials of millennials online that I was looking at today, not millennials, by reading testimonials of minimalists that I was looking at online today, it's very fair to say that this caused a lack of trust, not with just stuff, but being tied to this common theme of the Joneses lifestyle of I need to keep up with the Joneses where I'm just going to buy my house and set all these goals based on things where a lot of us up until that point saw the milestones in life as stuff where you buy your car, you buy your house, you get your retirement and you're done. But then you watch people who did all of this and now it's all gone with one economic event that seemingly we couldn't control. 
So I think this drove a fair amount of people to not really care as much about the traditional approach. Because you look at this and you see how it resulted for, you know, what the end result was for a lot of people. And something it's just, you know, why not just try something else? You know, they did all the stuff right and still lost everything. Why can't I try this way? And I think that's what we need to look at. It's not arguable that minimalism is growing. It is growing. You can see it all over social media. You can see it with people. The idea is very comforting to people to get rid of their stuff and solve all their problems. But what's it causing? Because if it's a movement, like anything else that happens, it can't exist in a vacuum. If minimalism is happening, it should be measurable somewhere, right? It has to exist in the economy and also in our social framework. I think one of the biggest pieces of evidence about minimalism isn't necessarily the numbers or the decline in retail or the decline in the stuff business, but rather how the economy itself is changing, specifically with the sharing economy. So if you haven't heard the term sharing economy before, it's not complicated. It's simply an economic framework that relies on the sharing of goods between people in a community-like environment. Think Uber or Airbnb. So if you look at Uber and Airbnb and Lyft and scooters and all of this stuff that we share, it shows our generation and the community as a whole, which is being pushed a lot by our generation because we are now becoming the largest active and alive generation. This idea of why the sharing economy works and why Uber and these companies have been able to thrive is because people aren't so focused on owning things. Where the idea of owning a car used to be almost mandatory, it is now not seen that way because our generation has pushed it from a sense of, I could spend X amount of dollars a month, $200 a month on a car payment, or I could walk places, and then when I need to get a car, I can use someone else's. And use someone else's is the same framework that Uber uses the exact framework, actually, that we don't need to own a car because we can borrow someone else's and pay them for their time. Along with this, companies like Airbnb let us share our houses, and other companies are constantly coming up with ways to share other things. In fact, car companies, not Uber, but actual companies, Audi, Volvo, Toyota, they're all coming up with subscription models where you won't even own a car anymore. You just pay the company a certain amount of money every month, and you can drive any of the cars you want. The whole framework of the environment is changing with ownership, where we're not so focused on owning stuff, but rather just borrowing it. And if you look at phones, as a simple example that hits it closer to home, a lot of us don't even own our phones anymore. We pay a fee to the company, AT&T, Verizon, whatever it might be, to borrow that phone. I'm going to lease this phone, use it for the time being, And at the end of two years, I'm going to give it back to you and get the newest one. That would be almost unheard of of our parents' generation. In fact, I think if you talk to a lot of parents up until recently, it didn't make much sense because the idea up until that point was buy things, pay it off, own it. And that idea is fading away. And this is in line with what minimalism entails. That you can start offloading some of your stuff because while it does give you value, It's fleeting, 
and it's also not needed all the time. While a car is valuable and some people might like owning a car and buying it, a lot of people don't see the need because while it is great to own a car for a lot of purposes, 90% of it can be covered by just borrowing one when you need it. And while minimalism is changing the economy, it's also just changing us and how we look at ourselves and our things, and it breaks us away from a lot of the milestones of stuff. And I referenced this earlier when we talk about buying houses and cars, but after reading countless stories today about different minimalists and their experience and where they came from, I saw a clear trend of how it really does provide some mental alleviation for some people from their stresses and daily attachment to things where they weren't so focused on the keeping up with the Joneses. I'll reference that again for the fourth or fifth time this podcast, but they weren't as focused with keeping up and buying things as they are with just getting the best out of things that they have and enjoying other experiences in life. And that it's not about giving up luxury, but rather finding the luxury within specific items, and also more experiences. But that's a lot to take in. Minimalism is a very complicated topic while being such a simple idea. And I found it very interesting. So so what now? I guess what's what's my take on minimalism? I actually really like it. I've been fascinated by the idea of minimalism. And while I haven't gone and thrown out my closet yet or gotten rid of my car or stuff yet it's fascinating how some people are downsizing and still being just as happy and while i don't think the message from this or the action item is that we all need to go get rid of our apartments buy a tiny house sell our cars and throw out all of our closets we can start examining the things that we do own and determine what value they're adding to our lives and even just doing this podcast i've looked around after this research at all the stuff that's here And realizing that if most of it was gone, my life wouldn't change that much. And we attach a lot of meaning to things because in the moment it provides a happiness or a level of satisfaction, but it's fleeting. And even looking back on past experiences of myself buying things, and I'm not a terribly things-based person, I don't buy that much stuff. One of my major vices was cars. I've owned, well, counting that first car, I've had three cars, but also two cars within the past two years. In each of those cars, I thought was going to be the last one where this first car I bought with my first job, that was a milestone playing right into what I what the cookie cutter lifestyle is. But that was your first milestone. I got my new job, so I'm going to buy my new car. And that car was a momentary happiness. But then if this doesn't sound common, after a couple of weeks or months, it's not as great anymore. And I think a car is probably the longest term happiness you'll get, or maybe even a couple months after buying it, you'll get in and love it. But I think a lot of things, it's even less than that. You'll buy a new tablet or you'll buy a new article of clothing and you're so happy with it. And then suddenly that fades. That same excitement that you got picking it up in the store is no longer there. And now it's just stuff. And don't get me wrong. I think some items can retain that value. And every time you, you know, I see it with clothes and I see it with, certain pieces of technology and also certain items and accessories that it does retain that value added. You know, you do look at that and you do wear it and you do use it and you get that same satisfaction you had on day one. 
and I think that's the point of minimalism to me at least, is that you're not trying to get rid of things. You're not trying to arbitrarily go through your apartment or your house and throw everything away, but rather start questioning what things mean. Does this have value? Do I actually enjoy this or could I do without it? I think a lot of this just manifests itself in tiny houses and you see a lot of people go that way because it's forced. You can't have a bunch of stuff in a tiny house because you have 80 square feet to live in. And even if you want these things, you start to making choices. And then once those choices are made, you realize you don't miss these things. But another trend I or another I guess message I took away from reading all these testimonials, it's not going to solve all problems. I don't think this overprescribed solution to things gets rid of anxiety or stressors in our life. I don't think magically if you hate your job and you're stressed that suddenly getting rid of your stuff, you'll feel better. And I also think it comes from a place of privilege. Ironically, I connect, I see these people who all give up their stuff and downsize and live simple lifestyles, but at least all the articles that I'd read, and maybe just this is because they're influencers and on social media, but none of them came from a background that had forced minimalism. A lot of them were leaving six-figure salaries and really healthy upbringings to then start giving all the stuff away. And while minimalism can be done by, I think, anyone, it seems to come primarily from people who have had the stuff who've had the things, who've bought the cars and bought the toys to suddenly realize they don't need them anymore rather than the people who've never had that stuff. Rather than the people who live a minimalist lifestyle every day because they can't afford to get from paycheck to paycheck, I think we need to accept that it is a luxury to be able to say, I want to give away these things, that I want to be able to downsize because I have too much stuff and I don't need it. I think it's an okay problem to have. In the end, I hope, like me, you all take a second to think about your stuff. What's adding value to your life? If you're listening to this on your phone or in your car, are you using things you don't really need anymore? Is it worth taking a look at your closet or your bag of junk to see what maybe you can give away or donate? It definitely is a moment of reflection for myself, and I think it's worth exploring on your end as well. But with that, I think about wraps it up for today's podcast. I hope you all found this topic interesting. I think it branches off in a couple different directions about the sharing economy and these other topics that can be discussed future. But I've already got a pretty long list for future podcasts based on, you know, these tangents that I keep going on. So I'll just add this to the bottom. But with that, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. I'll see you back here next week. This has been Free From Missing Out. My name is David. I'll catch you guys next time. See you.